This is Genesis 15. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house, Eliezer of Damascus? Abram continued, Look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, Your offspring will be that numerous. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am Yahweh, who brought you, brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said to the Lord, he said, Lord God, how can I know that I'll possess it? He said to him, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he brought all these to him, split them down the middle, and laid, them, and laid the pieces opposite each other. But he did not cut up the birds. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain, your offspring will be foreigners in a land that does not belong to them. They will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has, has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I give this land to your offspring, from the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates River, the land of the Canaanites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephraim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites and Jebusites. Our New Testament reading tonight is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. He predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself, according to his favour and will to the praise of his glorious grace that he favoured us within the beloved. We have redemption of him through his blood, the forgiveness of his trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he planned in him for the administration of the days of fulfilment to bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. 
We have also received an inheritance in him, predestined according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in the Messiah might bring praise to his glory. When you read the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him, you are also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. insurance. NRMA insurance. It's insurance, just NRMA better. Evening everyone. Isn't it kind of NRMA to make a TV advert for us at the start of our new series? My name's Andy Pierce. if I haven't met you. If you could um, keep your Bibles open at Genesis 15 or uh, Genesis 12 to 15, thereabouts, we'll be flicking around from there. We all want something better. The better job, the better house, the better school for our kids, the better life. It's not surprising that NRMA and I think it is Medibank are both running campaigns to tell us that we want something better and offering something better. Uh, We all want better, but how many of us feel as though we ever get there? We have so much. We live in a world that offers so much, but how many of us actually feel blessed. There's always a new hill to climb, isn't it? There's always a better tomorrow to be gained. I was chatting to a woman at the school gate this week, and she'd been to London with work, and she went to the new must-go-to celebrity hangout in London. Uh, And I said to her, how was it? How was the food? Did they have posh bathrooms? Did someone open the door for you? And she said, oh, it's pretty cool, but I spent the entire night Googling people's dresses, Googling other women's dresses. There was one woman there who had a £4,000 dress. She said, I spent the entire night wishing I was someone else. You see, we don't want better, do we? We want the best. This ad campaign won't win any awards for its consumer insight because we want the best. And when it comes to our quest For the best, we'll chase after a better tomorrow, hoping that a better tomorrow will lead to the best. Well, the Bible says the only place we'll find the best is in Jesus. Not in dresses, not in romance or houses or NRMA or Medibank health insurance. See, what our heads and our hearts need to understand is that in Christ, 
we have the very best if we're a Christian. See, the promises that get, the, 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 what we get promised in Genesis 12 gets delivered in Ephesians 1, 1 to 14. The best gets delivered in Christ. Ephesians 1 says that you have every spiritual blessing in Christ. You are God's VIP. You will spend eternity with God in his kingdom where there will be no more mourning, tears, or pain. That's where we're headed for if we're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, I hope that you will look into Jesus because he may make some pretty spectacular promises that the people here who are Christian believe. But the funny thing is that, that, that we Christians, we struggle to trust that in Jesus we have the very best. And so we chase after the better tomorrow, just like the rest of Sydney, just like the rest of the world. One pastor said this, we can look at a thousand yesterdays and see God's faithfulness and goodness in our lives, but give me one tomorrow and I crumble under the weight of trusting God. I wonder whether that's you. I know it's me. That's the Christian insight that drives us not to a, a product, but to Jesus. As we uh, look at these heroes of the faith, we're going from Genesis 12 to Genesis 50, from Abraham to Joseph. As we look at these heroes of the faith, Sometimes we'll, we'll stand in awe at their faith and say, I'll never be like that. Sometimes we'll laugh at them and say, what a muppet. Other times we'll weep as we see our struggle in their struggles. But as we look at them, uh, it is my prayer that we will be driven to Christ. That we will understand just how blessed we are in Jesus so that we would look at God's goodness to us in Jesus and trust him with every one of our tomorrows. I'm going to pray for you. Will you pray for me? And then we'll get stuck into this. Our Father, as we look at your promise to Abraham, we ask that you would illuminate your word. Please warm our cold hearts, unblock our deaf ears, and help us to hear your voice. Show us, we pray, what you have given to us in Jesus. And please change us so that we might live for Christ and not for self. To your praise and glory. Amen. As we get stuck into Abraham and this uh, great promise that drives God's blessing from one man to the world, I want this evening to give us five quick ingredients of God's goodness that we see in this narrative. Five ingredients given to us in Jesus so that we will confidently trust God with our, God with our tomorrows and have this faith of Abraham. Five ingredients. First ingredient. Uh, when we come to uh, Abraham, we need to remember the context. Over the past 11 chapters, we've been in a cycle of rebellion, judgment, and grace. You hopefully looked at that in your hive group this week. We've seen it in the fall, in the flood, and most recently in Babel, in that great act of global treason against the Creator God. And in Genesis chapter 12, we meet a broken, divided, 
and cursed world. It's against that backdrop, that backdrop of the mess of the world that God acts. Genesis 12, 1 to 3, read it with me. The Lord said to Abraham, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Doesn't take a genius to spot the repetition there. God is out to bless. He's promising to reverse the curse of the fall. Does he promise Abraham? And he is called Abraham at this point. He will be called Abraham. Um, if I get it wrong, don't worry, he's the same geezer. Abraham, Abraham, I will get it wrong. Uh, you see, he promises to reverse the curse of the fall and promises Abraham the faith of being God's great nation. He promises him the security of a land protected by God. He promises him the restored relational intimacy with his creator for the whole world. A blessing so good and so vast that it will infiltrate all the peoples of the earth, all people groups on our planet. See, this broken world that we meet at the start of Genesis 12 provides the canvas for God's goodness to be displayed. Now, you only have to watch The Bachelor to know that we still live in a broken world. A world full of broken relationships, and empty promises, and heartache, and men wanting, thinking they're God. And all that. I'll stop. Um, we live in a broken world. But in Jesus, the fix that was promised, the, the fixing, the solution that was promised to Abraham has been delivered in Christ for eternity. For the mess that we see and feel in the world around us, for the estrangement from God that we feel and all the problems that causes. Will you trust God with your broken tomorrow? Will you trust him? Our world is uh, full of short-term fixes. We can fix a lot of the effects of the fall uh, short-term with comfort, with a financial nest egg or a worry-free lifestyle. But those things won't last only Jesus' fix will deliver perfectly and permanently. Do you see God's goodness in Christ as he fixes this broken world? And so will you trust him with your tomorrow? Second ingredient, a random Iraqi. A random Iraqi. Um, did you notice why God called Abraham? Just have a look at his pedigree. Flip back to chapter 11, verse 27. He is the son of Terah. Joshua 24 tells us that Terah really liked to worship foreign gods. He was into idolatry big time. And he's from Ur of the Chaldeans. It doesn't sound like a very nice place, does it, Ur? And it is not a nice place. It's a bad town in modern-day Iraq. And those guys were big into human sacrifice. Archaeologists unearthed this um, great, what they called the Great Death Pit. Have we got a picture? There should be a picture coming up. Great picture. The, the Great Death Pit. This is how much 
they were into human sacrifice. 73 sacrificed bodies of servants arranged around their queen. So Abraham, he was pagan through and through. I know most people go, but, but it's Abraham, the father of the faith. It's Abraham. He was an Israelite. No, Israelites weren't invented till chapter, uh, chapter 17, where we get all that circumcision weirdness. And we'll get to that next week unless I, can't, uh, unless I can dodge it. Um, but the shock is not that Abraham is a pagan. Does anyone know uh, the other name for Chaldea? It's Babylon. And, and do you know where the Tower of Babel was? The answer's in the name. It was in Babylon. And the crime of Babel, at the end of, uh, in chapter 11, they say this, let us make our name for ourselves. That's the crime of the Tower of Babel. And the hilarious thing is, what does God promise Abraham? He says, Genesis 12, 2, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. The very act which God judged the Babylonians for, God is going to choose Abraham and and deliver it through him. Despite the fact that he was his pagan enemy. It's ridiculous, God's choice of man. It's as absurd as having like an ex-member of Al-Qaeda being the president of the US. See, God uses unlikely, uh, God uses this unlikely hero to bless the whole world. And it's flipping genius. It wouldn't have been half as cool if he'd have used the Abraham that you have in your head. You see, Billy Elliot wasn't rich. Forrest Gump wasn't an intellectual. And Abraham wasn't Abraham. You know, mine, we are the sons of Father Abraham and all that. Um, he wasn't that guy. And it is genius because it shows off God's genius. Shows off God's genius. Well, fast forward to the New Testament, it gets even better. We see God deliver on the promise to Abraham in Jesus. And he is an unlikely hero. He's born a pauper. He's killed as a criminal. And he is the one through whom the entire world would be blessed. By calling random enemies like you and like me, from all four corners of the globe into his kingdom. Let me do a little experiment. If you're um, a, a Christian here and you were born overseas, could you put your hand up? That's good. Good. We had more in morning church. Uh, put your hand up if you became a Christian in your late teens. Put your hand up if you became a Christian in your 20s. Put your hand up if you became a Christian in your 30s. Put your hand up if you grew up in a morally conservative household. Put your hand up if you were a rebel growing up. (laughs) Do you see, with those hands, we see God delivering on his promise to Abraham. This is the evidence. You are the evidence. You are the offspring of of Abraham. We are brothers and sisters in Christ because we are children of the promise. It's extraordinary. But this is the business that God is in. Blessing the nations through his son, Jesus Christ. And he does that as you and I 
speak of Christ to people. As we speak of people just normally in the street, in our offices, over a coffee, over a meat pie. And we see people get blessed in Christ as they come to know the gospel. Do you see God's faithfulness in Christ, in an unlikely hero? And will you trust him with your tomorrows? Third ingredient. As you read, uh, third ingredient, a distant promise. As you read God's promise to Abraham, you can't help noticing just how vast and how big these promises are. Chapter 15, 5, uh, we had it read out. You can look at it with me if you like. Chapter 15, verse 5, your offspring will be that numerous as the stars in the sky. And in chapter 13, he says, your offspring will be like the dust or, or, or the dust of the earth. It's big and it's vague and it's kind of unbelievable. It's just like when I tell my son, oh yeah, we will have a dog one day. It's kind of unbelievable. Don't tell him, all right? Um, it's unbelievable, but it is deliberate. You kind of think, why didn't he make him a little promise? Why didn't he just give him a nice little townhouse in Neutral Bay and give it to him there and then? But God makes these distant promises so that God would be seen as the promise maker and the promise keeper. Of course, it's not all plain sailing for Abraham. He doesn't just go ahead and get on with trusting God. At the second half of chapter 12, he mucks up big time as he pimps his wife out, Sarai, out as his sister to Pharaoh. You you read it and you're kind of gobsmacked that God would call him the father of the faith. It's ridiculous. But it's as we take our seats in history here today and look back over history, over the centuries, at God's faithfulness and goodness, in spite of man's faithlessness, that we can go, yes, God is good and I can trust him. See, God operates by making promises. And that's not easy, is it? God's promises to us in Christ are not as visible as the bills that land on your doorstep. And they're not as visible as the tears on your pillow. But God's promises are no less real. And he calls us to trust his promises in Christ. So that when we are the other side of eternity in his kingdom, we will look back and everyone will see just how good God is. Well, as you look at God delivering on his promise to Abraham in Christ, will you trust God with your tomorrows? Fourth ingredient, a mission impossible. Really, as you, as you get into this story, it feels a bit like a stitch-up, doesn't it? This story of Abraham, like one of those hidden camera shows and you expect the host to come running out and Abraham to appear on YouTube any moment. Well, if you didn't notice, Abraham notices in chapter 15, verse 2, he says this, but Abraham said, Lord, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abraham continued, look, you have given me no offspring. Is this some kind of sick joke? Why such impossible circumstances? God's promised him kids, 
But he's 95 and his missus is barren. He's promised him a land, but Canaan is occupied. It's also surrounded by some of the most uh, powerful, heavily armed, greatest nations on the planet of the day. Egypt, Babylon, Assyria, rich and powerful and prosperous. Could have just given him Ireland or Tasmania or something like that. Tasmania's not a country, is it? But we could give, give him that anyway. What God is doing is he's... What God is doing is he is setting up Mission Impossible so that he will be revealed to be the God of the impossible. We're meant to be thinking at this point, at the start of our series, we're meant to be thinking, how on earth will this happen? Well, his nation won't just be any nation. It will be greater than the greatest nations on earth. His descendants won't be any old scallies. They will be miracle babies. See, God stitches Abraham up royally so that we will look back on his life and trust God. He parachutes him into this land so that you and I will trust God. God calls him at the old age with the wife that he has so that you and I will trust God with our tomorrows. So that he will maximize his glory. I wonder whether you've ever wondered why God has placed you in Sydney, why he has put you in one of the most beautiful, prosperous cities in the world, why he has put the challenges that he has in your life. It's so that we will trust him It's so that we will bring him glory through trusting him and know him as the good God of the impossible. I was asked asked my wife um, just to put some meat on the bones. When have we made big decisions uh, when we've had to trust God uh, in in impossible situations? And she reminded me that we took an 85% salary cut so that we could go off and I could be trained to teach people the Bible. Uh, my wife was very successful in, in fashion, and she has said goodbye to her fashion career so that we can disciple our boys, so that they will know the promises of God in Christ. Uh, I gave up being a creative director of an advertising agency to become an Anglican minister. Uh, I gave up going to all those award ceremonies and, and, and nice lunches. You don't go to many award ceremonies as an Anglican minister. You don't get much. You don't get many nice lunches. Oh, I guess you do. Ian Campbell took me out for a nice lunch the other week. It was really nice. Um, those, things, those things are not easy. Those things are not easy. And sometimes uh, we made those decisions through gritted teeth. But we can look back and see God's goodness and his faithfulness. And we can be spurred on to trust him more and more. I'm sure you can look back on your life and see God's faithfulness. As you look back on your life and see God's faithfulness, will you trust him with your tomorrow? Well, fifth and final ingredient, a determined God. When you think about uh, God acting in our lives, presenting us situations so that we will trust him, choose to trust him, 
so that he will be glorified. You can think of God as being cruel almost, can't you? Setting Abraham up like this is, is just cruel. And that would be true if it wasn't for chap- chapter 15 of Genesis. Have a look with me at 15 verse 8. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it, the land? And in verses 8 and 9, uh, we get this kind of weird uh, Heston Blumenthal uh, kind of recipe going on, don't we? Uh, as as uh, he is told to cut up a cow, a goat, and a ram. I've no idea why he leaves the birds. What God is doing with all this kind of uh, weirdness is he is making a covenant. Or, or more precisely, he is cutting a covenant. That's what you do. You cut a covenant. Now, uh, we need to kind of get our heads into the, into the day to understand all this weird stuff. Um, if you cut a covenant then this is what you did. So if I was a a king and I was making a covenant with another king and I I said to him, oh, you give me your field and I will give you my daughter, uh, we would take animals and we would cut them in half and put the, the, the pieces of the animals either side of our throne room. Then both of us would walk through the middle of the animals and what we are doing in that moment is giving each other permission that if we, either of us let it, uh, lets, um, lets our side of the bargain down, then we are giving each other permission to do what we've done to the animals with each other. Pretty weird, pretty gross. But this is what's, that's what's going on here. Now, did you notice the difference in the covenant ceremony that happened in chapter 15? Have a look with me. At verse 17, see if you can spot the difference. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. Do you notice the difference? Who passes through the animals? Only God. Only God. It's a one-sided, unilateral covenant. God is taking the covenant on himself. What he's saying is, is that he is going to do it, regardless of Abraham, regardless of how many times he slips up. He will, be, he will deliver it, lest he be cut in two. And it's in this weird um, covenant ceremony that we see a beautiful picture of the cross. See, despite his perfect faithfulness to God's word, Jesus, on the cross, would butcher himself. God would butcher himself for our disobedience. He, on himself, would take the judgment, his wrath, his anger, on himself to keep our side of the bargain. That's how he does it. That's where we're headed in the Bible story. So that you and I, Christians, can receive the blessing promised to Abraham in Christ. It's amazing. That's how the story folds out. You need to fill in the, the blanks. But that's how the story folds, uh, uh, rolls out. Ephesians 1 says, Christian, you have every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms. You are chosen. You are loved. You are predestined, forgiven, redeemed, heirs of the living God. And that's amazing. 
You get it simply by trusting Christ. Not by how good you are. Not by how many rules you've obeyed. Not by what school you went to. Not by what country you were born. Simply because God has made this promise to Abraham and, say, and says that he will do it. It's exciting, isn't it? Does it want to make you trust God with your tomorrow? See, God has taken care of the end game. And we can trust him with our tomorrows. We can trust him with our lives, with our hopes, our dreams, our passions, because none of the things this world offers compares to what we have in Christ and what we will receive in Christ, the other side of eternity. Well, how can we be the true generation better? Well, by knowing that what we have in Christ is the best. By knowing that every promise the world throws at us, that Jesus is better. We can be the true generation better by getting behind the mission of God, by offering the best to our friends that we work with, the people that we live next to, the people that we eat lunch with. And we can be the, 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 better, the generation better by knowing that despite our lack of faith, despite the slip-ups that we see in our lives, that God has taken care of the end game in Christ. We do not need to face death. We do not need to face God's judgment. Because we trust in the God of the impossible. We trust the faithful God through the circumstances of impossibility. And he wants us to trust him because it brings him glory. So as you are faced with choices whether to trust God or to trust the world, will you look at Jesus and know that he is He has dealt with the end game. Will you look at your church and see God gathering and blessing his people from all corners of the globe? Will you look at the cross and see how much your rebellion hurts God, but also how much you are forgiven in Christ? It's a wonderful position to be in. We can look back and see God's faithfulness, and we can trust him with every tomorrow. Will you pray with me? Our Father God, we are sorry when we have not trusted you, when we have followed our eyes, when we have followed the tangible things of this world, when we have doubted your goodness, when we have doubted your faithfulness. Please, Lord, help us to See your faithfulness and goodness in Christ. Help us to see the genius of your rescue plan in Christ. And Father, help us by your Spirit to trust us, uh, to trust you with our tomorrows. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.